came from outer space to fill the world with terror. What earthly power can stop this terror? That's the signpost up ahead. Your next stop. The from outer space. And we're off. How's it hanging, boys? It's another smooth one from the podcast from outer space. It's actually a pretty cool night in San Diego tonight, boys. And it's none other than your boy, Rob Scott. We got Adam Narlock in the house tonight. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening. And as always, Ryan Scott. Greetings, Earthlings. And, you know, tonight we're getting into one of the greatest filmmakers of all time. We'll say it of all time. We'll say it one more time. Steven Spielberg, and, you know, specifically getting into his latest feature film, Ready Player One. Yes, uh, 30th episode, guys. Um, Long time coming. Thank goodness we didn't die at the episode of 23. That is true. We made it past it, boys. (laughs) Yep. Uh, Made it to 30. It's all downhill from here. (laughs) I'll tell you from experience. So figure hell. Um, you know, we got to do uh, Steven Spielberg, big, huge guy in the uh, sci-fi community. A lot of, um, uh, would you say, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Groundbreaking? Blockbuster hits? Influential. Um, Not even just the sci-fi community, man. He's got a, apparently a big cult following in the hip-hop community. Oh, yeah. And actually, right up top, I do want to make a correction. Meant to do it last week. Totally forgot. On our Foo Fighter episode, I said that Maria Orsic was in the Thule Society, actually a member of the Vril Society. That was my fault, 100% my bad. Lots of drinking that night. <laughs> yeah. But in this episode, uh, back to Steven Spielberg and Ready Player One, we are going to give you a overview of, arguably, as Rob said, one of the most famous directors of all time, uh, while also getting into his latest film and apparently Rob's favorite, Ready Player One. Really? I mean, this whole thing spawned from Rob singing a Lil Wayne song, <laughs> and then we just kind of went from there, snowballed. Oh. Now, what's snowball? the fascination <laughs> with uh, Ready Player One? <laughs> oh, God. Well, you know, I feel like it was just kind of like a culmination of all of his movies. Greatest hits, if you will. <laughs> I mean, I guess you could call it that. But I feel like it sends a positive message at the same time you're kind of like reminiscing on all the uh, mm. nostalgia of his yes, previous yes. films. Big time. And that's what it plays off of. That's what the film banks on. It's pushing its chips on the, the classics, nostalgia if you will. Factor. The classics that we all know and love. Okay, so let's first take a look at the man himself, uh, Steven Spielberg. Now I'm gonna go. I'm gonna just real fast. I'm gonna see uh, how fast I can do this. List all of the movies he, all of the full-length feature films he is credited as a director on. You want me to time this? Ready. Duel, The Sugarland Express, Jaws, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, 1941, Raiders of the Lost Ark, E.T., Twilight Zone, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, The Color Purple, Empire of the Sun, Always, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, Hook, Jurassic Park, Schindler's List, The Lost World, Jurassic Park, Amstead, 
Saving Private Ryan, AI, Minority Report, Catch Me If You Can, The Terminal, War of the Worlds, Munich, Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, Adventures of Tintin, War Horse, Lincoln, Bridge of Spies, The BFG, The Post, and Ready Player One. Wow. Now, out of those just listed, what would you guys say are your favorites? Top three, let's go. Oh, man. I didn't even know he worked on some of these. Catch Me If You Can, one of my favorite movies. I didn't even know that was Spielberg. Yeah. Dude, Indiana Jones series, can I put that all in one? <laughs> I mean, I, I guess I didn't. One, one through three, three at least. Yeah. I'm saying yeah. I actually had to choose a top two. I'm saying probably my favorite of all of his, Temple of Doom. Second, close second is uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. No pun intended. <laughs> uh, Rob, how about you? I mean, I think uh, top three in no particular order. I will go. It's tough to pick an Indiana Jones one though. They're all so good. Gotta do it. Gotta do it. Mm. Crystal skulls. <laughs> <laughs> While this guy's singing, I keep yeah, thinking, yeah, I, I want to keep shouting like Schindler's List, dude. Place in my heart. Like I've actually oh. been to the museum mm. and the factory and everything. Like that's whoa. Great. You've been to Poland to yeah. Uh, Dachau. Yeah. Really? I, went I to mean, Auschwitz. Auschwitz. Yeah. Auschwitz. Dude. Oh, dude, I want to go, man. Dude, I think everybody should have to go. Like, it's seriously, we'll get into that another time. But you want to take a trip? I'll go back, dude. Live podcast, dude. But uh, yo, Saving Private Ryan, Hook. I didn't, I didn't know Hook was Spielberg. That was like yeah. one of my favorite movies. Rufio, Rufio. Dude, good so stuff. you're saying Schindler's List, Hook, Catch Me If You Can? No, 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 no. no, no. <laughs> He's just highlighting stuff that he likes. Yeah, I would definitely say Catch Me If You Can is probably my favorite. One of my top five movies of all time. Easy. Yeah. The whole Indiana Jones series, one through three, and then probably Saving Private Ryan at the bottom. Not, I mean, yeah. I don't want to put them in any order, but Catch Me If You Can, definitely one of my top five movies of all time. All right. Decision time, Rob. All right. I'm going Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, mm. Saving Private Ryan, Ready Player One. Oh, man. Tough ones. Okay. All right. So, um... Let's get into the man himself. Uh, Steven Allen Spielberg, born December 18th, 1946 in Cincinnati, Ohio. Um, but he does say that he spent a majority of his youth growing up in Phoenix, Arizona. Now, this guy had three sisters. Um, father was classic American working man. I believe he worked for like a big time computer company. So they were like constantly moving around. Uh, mom, from what I gather, watching uh, we watched this HBO documentary Spielberg. Um, bit of an oddball, I guess. Uh, she was apparently like a restaurateur and a concert pianist, uh, and one day like just went out and like bought them a pet monkey. From what I understand, <laughs> <laughs> she's got that restaurant money, dude. I mean, concert pianist money. Right? Yeah, concert pianist money for sure. Now, concert penis money, pianist. Come I'm on. messing with you. Dick joke. Now, uh, well, it also did say that his dad was on the team of the guys that created the first data processor. So, you know, he's probably banking on that. Now, what's that? <laughs> it's like one of the first... You remember back in the... Well, you probably don't because before your time, but back in the day, computers used to be like six foot tall, huge fucking machines. Like you used to put your Charlie porn on Chuck. floppy disks. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you do what you gotta do, you know? <laughs> But, yeah, so, I mean, imagine being on the team that develops one of the first 
computers where you can input like data and, and then it prints it out for you. Oh, okay. So hmm. a printer. Not, not a printer. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It's um, like basically being able to make some of the first spreadsheets ever. Oh, like Excel. Computerized, yeah. Okay. I mean, if you want to dumb it down to that level, but... Well, I do, <laughs> you know. Um, so not a very good student. Um, Spielberg, mostly straight C's, uh, got bullied a lot as he was a bit of an outsider. Uh, he didn't have a great deal of self-esteem as a kid, bit of a loner. Uh, actually pretty sad. Yeah. Um, now, his Jewish name was Shmuel, and his grandfather used to call it out for him to come in for dinner, and he said he hated it. He tried to hide the fact that he was Jewish, uh, was bullied for this, you know, only kid in town without a Christmas tree. Mark Wahlberg and Ted actually went around beating kids like him up, right? Uh, they beat up Jews. That's racist. You guys don't remember in Ted? Uh, Anyways, edit that out. I can't say that. Yeah, I really cut that out. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah. Only kid in town without a Christmas tree. Um, so he started dabbling in his first movies at the age of uh, 12 using his model trains. He would like set them up, um, film them, uh, continue to fuck around with movies from here on out, basically. Just fucking around. Yeah. I mean, when he was 16, I do believe, uh, he went to see Lawrence of Arabia Almost made him want to quit being a filmmaker because it was just that goddamn good. Set the bar for him, huh? Yep. Uh, he said he went. He that's a movie that he watches every year to this day. Now he watch, He was raised off of war movies Aren't as a young all? tyke. Oh yeah, huge fan. I mean, you know, she wore a yellow <laughs> ribbon. Sands of Iwo Jima, Big Red One. I was obsessed growing up. Me and Garrett Evenson. <laughs> Bridge on a River Kwai. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> obsessed with World War II. Um, and so he continued to fuck around with movies. Um, started making his own little war movies on an 8 millimeter camera. He would uh, edit together actual war clips with his filmed clips using like primitive special effects. Like he would have his friends run on a seesaw with dirt on one end for like landmines. This reminds me of when Dad showed us yeah, those videos yeah. with Chuck that they would make. Exactly the same thing. Dude, I feel like I all the kids were doing that. We need to then. somehow find that, upload it, and make that the Just Google it. <laughs> well, maybe uh, you could try that in your spare time. Well, I don't have a lot of that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, so, yeah, he, he would make these primitive special effects. Um, no sound. So, you know, he had to get creative. Um he would also practice on scaring his sisters. He would like lock them in a closet, and so they were screaming and like capture that emotion on film. I guess <laughs> kind of sick, right? Psycho, a creepy. Uh, yeah, movies. Movies. He says that gave him a sense of control because I guess he didn't have a lot of that in his own life. Um, also, fun fact: Eagle Scout. Earned the rank of Eagle Scout in 1965. An honor shared by all three of us. Yes, Mazel as we tov. all three are. Yeah. Um, graduated uh, that same year from Saratoga High School. And I believe this is around the time that his parents were divorced. Now, this was brutal for Steven. Pretty fucked up on his um, mom's part. Yeah. I mean, his mom basically married his, his uh, dad's best friend. And the dad was just like, he just told the kids like, hey, it was all my fault. Like I divorced your mom to like save them the, uh, 
but heartache or or um, I think he didn't want them to take it out on the mom. Yeah, yeah, and it was basically just he still like still was in love with her even yeah. though she's fucking his best friend. Yeah, real fucked up. <laughs> now this was basically just like an unspoken thing amongst his fam for years, um, and this is what led Stephen to just basically lose himself in his work. Uh, he became a workaholic, just like his old man. Like that Cat Stevens song. Well, Cat's in the Cradle, man. I was <laughs> yeah, just thinking that. Exactly like oh, that. Oh, man. Now, um, upon moving to Los Angeles after high school, he applied to the University of Southern California. Fight on. Uh, film school, but was turned down because of his C grade average. That's funny because they took me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. do you have a C grade average? It wasn't very good coming in. <laughs> I thought you had like a 4.0. No. Well, um, I think it's a little bit different when you transfer in than when you just try and well, get I've right in out of high school. Failed out of the other university, so here we are. Well, anyways, no, we didn't. So he was admitted to California State University at Long Beach, where he became a brother of Theta Chi. That's I think that's Chi Theta Chi fraternity. Got a sad story about Long Beach. We got time for it. We can always edit it out. <clears throat> Is this the white wine story? Oh, well, that's a good story, too. I'm talking about the actual university, man. So I was going to community college here in San Diego over winter break one year, and I met this girl looking exactly like Zoe Deschanel. Shout out, boner of the month. And, like, I, yeah, I just had a class for a whole month with this girl, and at the end, like, we would, after class every day, we would hang out, like, just talk BS, listen to music and stuff, kiss in the rain, that kind of stuff. And then she was like, hey. Kiss in the rain? Shut up. <laughs> spider-man yeah i wasn't upside down or anything <laughs> but then she was like hey by the way like i go to school in long beach you're down here in san diego and i was like i don't like i just got my license and shit like i didn't know anything about driving and i was like well, that's not that far like i'll come up and see you it's really not that far a couple hours tops yeah, yeah two yeah. hours so like one day like i was just having a shitty week in school and i drove up to long beach to see this girl and i was like I texted her like, "Hey, oh, like, I remember this. Yeah, story, man. Yeah. Like, got her some sunflowers on the way. Like, drove all the way up to Long Beach. Like, parked in the middle of the university. Like, texted her like, "Hey, I'm in Long Beach. Like, I'm at the university. What are you doing?" And she was just like, "Yeah, I don't really want to see you. <laughs> like, that's kind of weird that you drove up here. So brutal, man. And hey, female troubles persist. Hey, um, well, that's brutal. <laughs> well, shout out to this guy. You know, he's on Bumble, ladies. So." If you still have that account, get at your boy. Get at your boy T-Bag, a.k.a. <laughs> Easy Rider. Um, now, so back to uh, Spielberg. He's in Theta Chi. Uh, he's fucking throwing frat parties. Probably um, doing some shotguns. Yeah, doing some keg Hell stands, yes. uh, popping his collar, <laughs> um, using Axe body spray. Now... Um, <laughs> So since he couldn't get into USC film school, basically he would just sneak around Universal Studios to get an education by like watching famous directors. Uh, it says like he snunk, he took the tour, the little like tour thing around the back lot and there was like a bathroom break and he just got out and just wa wandered onto an Alfred Hitchcock set. would just watch him setting oh, up cameras. Oh, I don't think that was the same day, buddy. Well, this is how he did it, right? It's a real power move. I well, mean, I think he, uh, the way that I, in the movie, the way that they break it down is like he 
took over that office and then people started recognizing that he was coming in and out of that office so they just started letting him in oh yeah but that's not real <laughs> they just made it up for the sake of the movie yeah that's like a myth like a urban so Hollywood he took a myth. back lot he paid for a back lot tour every fucking day to get to work you really I, think so maybe he stunk on it dude it was uh back in the day a different time yeah, i mean so he if c- you see a guy coming in and out of your building after a couple of days you're just like oh what's up dude or also, he, kids could just sneak around all over studios. <laughs> but uh, okay, so somehow he stunk on Alfred Hitchcock's set and would uh, watch him direct. And also, Alfred Hitchcock, big proponent of no sound. He he says as a director, you should be able to turn a, a movie on mute and still understand what's going on, mm. which is what Spielberg did with those early movies. Very deep. Um. So, yeah, this guy, uh, yeah, as Rob was saying, snunk around Universal, uh, allegedly just took an office, an empty office on the seventh floor, put his name on it. I mean, sign me up. I just uh, go sneak in there, and then I, suddenly I'm a fucking uh, giant director. What, do you just go in and call dibs? Like, <laughs> <laughs> Is that how it works? Uh, so, Hey, guys, what's up? I'm here now, so you guys got to start paying me. Um. So he took, uh, after all this uh, fiasco kind of stuff, um, he took an unpaid internship in the editing department of Universal Studios and was later given the opportunity to make a short film, a 26-minute runtime, shot on 35mm titled Amblin, which was basically like a hippie love story. Um, he wrote and directed this. So this is like a pornographic film? I don't think so. That's how you so. get into the industry. It was on TV, so. Well. But different time. <laughs> uh, it's like a Happy Juice commercial. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the vice president, um, Sidney Scheinberg, was so impressed by the film Amblin that he offered Spielberg a seven-year directing contract. Uh, this made... Spielberg, the youngest director ever to be signed for a long-term deal with a major Hollywood studio. You know, they didn't really touch on how that went over. Was he just like, oh, yeah, guess what, Sid? Already got my office set up, so... Uh, <laughs> I mean, that's what I'm saying. I think that whole I'm thing up on was the a myth. Floor. <laughs> and then he, so, took, he took the internship, and then that kind of went from there. But um, So he became a TV director in his early 20s. Um, 1969, Rod Serling's Night Gallery was one of the first uh, shows that he worked on as a director on. Uh, also did Columbo. Do it. This Columbo, he pretends to be stupid. <laughs> <laughs> also worked on Columbo. Now, I think this is one of the things that kind of uh, gave Spielberg the like eye for directing that he has now. I mean, starting in TV... I mean, starting in TV, you know, you had to be quick, efficient, uh, and stuff. Yeah, and good. It's just like we talked about in our Twilight Zone episode uh, with Rod Serling, like adapting all these screenplays to TV. Like you have to make it quick. You have your actors for only a limited time. Like you're filming uh, maybe in three days tops. Uh, you got stuff out every week. Yeah, I mean, you got to be quick, efficient. You got to have a, a a keen eye for this type of shit. And I think this is where we see that sort of developing in Spielberg. Although he was making movies since he was a kid, so he probably always had that. But uh, this helped like uh, polish it, so to speak, right? 
Hopefully he wasn't locking any actors or actresses in closets trying <laughs> yeah. to capture their fear. I mean, who knows? Maybe that'll come out in a few years, <laughs> like a Weinstein sort oh, of come on. <laughs> uh, No, no, no. Dang. No, he's a good man. I don't think... Uh, you saw him on cut, the TV. Yeah, he looks like a out. saint. Yeah, he's a good man. shit about Steve. Yeah, he's a good man. Now... So he dropped out of school to do um, this TV directing, but he later returned to uh, Cal State University and, at Isn't Long Beach. Isn't that where uh, our boy Marshawn went? Is that the same no, thing? Cal not State? Long no. Beach. Not Long Beach, but Cal, right? No, it's completely D- different. Completely different schools. Completely different. That's totally different school. Um, California <laughs> State <laughs> University, Long Beach. Uh, he completed his BA degree in film and electronic arts in 2002. Now, his first film, though, was Duel. Uh, this premiered on ABC, and it's like about, it's kind of like a menacing truck is like chasing this guy. Uh, check it out if you haven't already. Um, George Lucas caught this when it was on the TV slot, uh, became a huge fan instantly, said, you know, I'll watch the first uh, 30 minutes or so, ended up watching the whole thing, loved it. Um, loved it. This is like Peyton Manning watching film on Tom Brady. Yeah, yeah. Crazy. And then, you know, he he gets... uh, From there, he got his first, like, major motion picture. And at this time, he was, like, not viewed as a particularly good artist in the sense of, like, Scorsese uh, at the time, but more of, like, a passing of the torch. Uh, He was, like, a groundbreaker for the new generation of Hollywood. Um, More of like a commercial director like he was extremely successful because he had an eye to like direct movies that could appeal to like anyone so he i mean he wasn't putting out shit like david lynch you know where it's like insanely um artsy and like super in-depth critics like uh rave about it um now some even go as far as saying uh the blockbuster and george lucas and spielberg ruined filmmaking um well they can just go fuck themselves you know this like whole idea is like like massive inter- massive scale entertainment like that is different than like artistic films like if it's uh made for a mass scale audience like you know star wars that type of shit then it can't really be artistic is their whole viewpoint which you know i mean Doing the research for this one, I really uh, got reminded of, like, how pretentious and just, like, uh, assholes some (laughs) of these, like, film critics are. Like, I remember studying this stuff in film school and, like, uh, man, these guys were douchebags. But uh, this opened up a whole nother can of worms. I mean... Uh, this was more of like, I feel like a changing of the guard. I mean, it was like a different time in Hollywood and you had these upcoming guys. They were known as the movie brats. Uh, George Lucas, Brian De Palma, Martin Scorsese, Coppola, Spielberg, all those guys were lumped into this group and they started like, you know, getting these big films and they did this like gag, I guess. Like they had the first car phone cause they were making so much money and they oh, would like, funny. They would like call a chick and be like, "Hey, you want to go out tonight?" And then be like outside of her house. Wait, what's the joke? Nobody had. A, yeah, no there one. was no cell phones. Like that wasn't a thing. It was before cell phones, so they'd be like, "Oh yeah, let's meet up later." And they'd be like, "Oh yeah, we could just meet up now." I'm actually right outside. That's a boss move, man. Yeah. So back in the day, that was pretty uh, swinging, Dick Spielberg. Yeah. <laughs> now, 
this group, like the movie brats, they are constantly trying to one up each other. Uh, they worked closely on each other's work, almost like a fraternity in their own right. Um, and they were the first generation of directors to come from a general like love of movies. Uh, like they were raised off of TV and like motion pictures. Like you didn't have that before this generation. And uh, Steven was one of the guys who really appreciated the uncut version of Star Wars. Like he had, he was like, this is going to be big. Um, apparently De Palma, like in the uncut screening was like, what the fuck is this? Like, what is this thing? Like ranted. And he actually helped Lucas come up with the opening scroll. I didn't know that. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, De Palma also, like he just let Lucas come on the face uh, on the set of Scarface and film the final shootout with the Colombians coming up the stairs. Wait, Lucas or um, Spielberg? De Palma. He let Spielberg come on. So I said. You said Lucas. No, that's what I, I said. Spielberg. That's what I said. Okay, well, uh, let me play it back. <laughs> no, Why don't you say it again, dick sucker? Yeah. Uh, and basically, these guys dominated the film industry for decades to come. I mean, you know, Jaws. Spielberg was like. 25 i think when he got this uh game changer for steve this was basically his free pass let him pick and choose what to direct uh and this was in fact the first summer blockbuster so to speak well didn't he come on after they had already kind of started production on it because the other guy fucked up i don't know i didn't see that that's what they made it seem like it was like a last minute thing to get him on it and then so they kind of just let him do whatever the fuck he wanted. Little solo action. So I feel like that kind of helped him out because yeah. they were like, well, it's yours now. Do whatever you want. And he was like, all right, fuck Like it's yeah. already in the toilet. Uh, yeah. And this became like the first big summer blockbuster where a movie was like an event. And I found out this was like one of the first movies to be open nationwide. Like the way it worked before Jaws is movies were released in like select theaters, and if they did good, they got released nationwide. Jaws released nationwide, massive success, and a lot of critics argue that uh, they say this ruined the film industry. Like um, these sort of blockbusters like Jaws and Star Wars are why uh, the corporations now only stick to like you know how everybody says like oh they they're running out of ideas they can't come up with anything new they have to keep remaking shit because i mean you you got to think there's millions of dollars behind these movies so Mm. they're gonna do what they know works you know makes sense right i mean i don't think though you could necessarily like credit just spiel like it's not just spielberg's fault you know you can't just like credit one guy with that right like it's the industry as a whole. If it's a problem in the industry, it's not just the fault of Spielberg. Right, right. But you always got to have a fall guy. Oh yeah, people love a scapegoat. <laughs> now, um, Close Encounters, another huge gamble for the studios. Um, not to be confused with what was that movie we were talking about earlier? Contact. Contact. Yeah, not to be confused with Contact. Totally different movie. Teabag. <laughs> now. This uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, huge gamble for studios. I mean, the effects had never been used before on a major scale like that. Um, and actually, interesting thing, um, Spielberg himself believes that math would be the true communication between extraterrestrials and us, but he thought music would be much more emotional and work better on the big screen. Now... He did make this film when he was 16, 
Uh, it was called Firelight, and this was essentially the story of man's first contact. Cost him five hundred dollars, and was shown for a dollar, making exactly a dollar profit. Hey, says he counted the tickets himself. <laughs> um, he had to go through basically for like close encounters. He had he was like trying to. The idea was like going through chaos to reach clarity. This was like his most personal film he had made at the time. And a lot of his films have to do with like um, absent fathers, um, struggling family, like, you know, household tension, because that's what he went through growing up. Mm. Interesting thing. I I never really uh, put that together before. Right. What you know, they say. Yeah. Because that's who he is and that's who he cares about. (laughs) So... Spielberg also says that basically he gets ideas by panicking and having the feeling of this is not going to work. Now, and that's the sense I got from Spielberg in watching interviews and shit. Essentially, none of these Hollywood directors really know what's going on. I mean, all these guys kind of show up and they don't know. There's moments where they don't know what the fuck's going on, and they just have to do a good job of hiding it. <laughs> well, remember he said that in the interview. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. He said one of the first things he was taught when he started directing his own movies was he walked on the set one day and was like, "I don't even know what the fuck to do right here." <laughs> and he said that the guy that was working with him said, "The best thing you can do is just not let anyone know that because then they're not going to respect you, and as long as you can keep that hidden, then." People are going to do whatever the fuck you tell them, basically. This is me every day at work, by yeah. the way. Yeah, and I mean, basically, <laughs> so... a lot of people at work every day. <laughs> the sense, yeah, <laughs> the sense I get is the directors don't know what's going on. Uh, you can just show up on, at Universal Studios and, like, sneak around on set. Claim uh, your own office. Claim your office. <laughs> yeah, maybe back in the 60s. You and just kind of pretend. Well, you just kind of pretend, hey, I work here. And then they're like, oh, well... Everyone buys in. Fuck it. Fake it till you make it, am I right? Yeah, it's like um, Hitler said. You keep repeating the lie, then they believe it. Let's let's not go with that one. (laughs) Talking about a lot of Jewish guys today. Okay, well. (laughs) And you go with a Hitler quote. You know, I'm just saying. (laughs) These guys that took what Hitler used... And, uh, <laughs> and adopted it for their own. I'm game. pretty sure if we had Steve right here, he would probably not agree. Well, with you. He would say, "Yeah, I learned that from Hitler." <laughs> um, so Let's then, cut that out too. Then you've got ET. Uh, Great film. Now, basically, I mean, yeah, we're talking about all the sci-fi films. There was films in between these, but ET, another big one. Uh, now, Steve. He's crazy for this one. I mean, I recently watched this. Um, Let me ask you something. Yeah. And be real here. You're you're under oath right now. Under oath? When you watched this film, did you... Scout's Honor. Sh- sh- yeah, Scout's Honor. Did you shed a tear or two at the end? Oh, always, dude. Okay, this is... Uh, this- Not even at the end when they... Um, that's what I'm saying. He's a fucking asshole for making, <laughs> for making him die and then not really be dead. I mean, come on. That scene where he's like talking at him through the glass and he's telling him he loved him. Oh, yeah, dude. It's like, dude. And then you're just going to make him all psych, not dead. (laughs) 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 Was that necessary, Spielberg? Come on. And then he's got, yeah, the heartbreaking scene in the end where he says goodbye. Um, He'll be right here. Gets me every time. Now, I saw also... What Spielberg was doing with this film was he was basically telling the story of, hey, what can fill the void of a divorce? What can fill the void of 
his dad because you know Elliot's dad went away to Mexico, right? You boys like Mexico? <laughs> <laughs> Where's Mexico? Um, Where's Mexico? So it's like, what can fill the void of a divorce? An okay. alien. <laughs> Apparently, <laughs> alien. <laughs> it takes something as big as an alien to fill that void. Or Reese's Pieces. But give the kid an alien, and um, he doesn't need a dad. Dang, you know what, man? My dad was always gone being in the Navy. Maybe that's why my mom was always showing me E.T. Yeah. Maybe old Spielberg was on to something. She probably got that, (laughs) that reference. Thanks, Mom. I mean, we talk about his biggest, some of his bigger movies from the start. Got to talk about one of the failures. 1941. Probably haven't even heard of it because it sucks so much. He's gassed up from all the success. He's thinking, hell, I can do a comedy. I can do anything. (laughs) Makes 1941. It was a huge flop, but has since developed a cult following. So I guess not really a flop, right? It reminds me of like Naked Gun. Yeah, yeah. It's like (laughs) similar. And he's saying like... Or Airplane, if you guys are familiar. Yeah, he just got like caught up in the... um, He's probably hanging out doing some cocaine with some interesting people in the day. Yeah, Making yeah. prank calls and, from the car phone. And just got <laughs> too caught up. Didn't make it as funny as he says it could have been. Focused more on visuals. And um, and the film just kind of fell by the wayside. So um, check it out or don't uh, <laughs> if, if you feel like it. Uh, 1941 by Spielberg. One of his biggest failures. I mean, he was basically in a huge rut after this movie. He just kind of shut everyone out. And this is when George Lucas uh, basically just gave him the director spot for Indiana Jones. Uh, Says he, like, came over to talk to him one day and was just like, hey, what are you working on? And he said, you know, nothing. I'm sitting here moping in my own sorrow from 1941. And he says, hey, I got a little project for you. Indiana Jones. This one might be good. Yeah, hopefully get you out of that rut you're in. Um, and in a rut. So on a handshake, he said he'd do it. Uh, he said he'd uh, direct Indiana Jones, and he would do the next two if it was big. And at the time, it was basically just him and George making this thing. Uh, until Living the dream. Yeah, dude. until it got picked up by a studio, Paramount. And, um, I mean, the rest is history. Indiana Jones, legendary franchise. Oh, yes. Massive success. I did not know that that came off of the inspiration of George Lucas wanting to do a James Bond film so Mm. bad that he decided, I'm going to make someone cooler than James Bond. I'd say arguably he did. Yeah. It's a tough call. It's a tough call, boys. I mean, I think I'd definitely rather hang out with Indy than uh, James. Mm. Second. James is kind of pretentious. <laughs> yeah, but he's got cool cars. He gambles a lot. Exactly. Yeah, cool of course watches. you would love him. Yeah, you, you and course, Batman yeah. and James Bond go hang <laughs> out in your boy toy club. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I would love to do that. And we'll be. Uh, you don't want to hang out with James Bond we'll and Batman? Fuck you. You would definitely do I'd that. I'd rather hang out with Indiana Jones and Spider Man. If Bruce Wayne <laughs> fucking James Bond came in here right now, you wouldn't want to hang out with him? Go fuck yourself. Uh, Indiana Jones says, hey, come grab a beer with me. James Bond says, hey, come grab a beer with me. Who are you going with? Or a martini? Martini shaking, not stirred. <laughs> you would be getting those martinis. Okay, you would be. Um, all right, so now we get to his. Uh, serious films we'll kind of lump these all in one uh cluster we got you know color purple empire of the sun saving private ryan schindler's list uh 
Starting with Color Purple, I mean... Is that the one with Whoopi Goldberg? Yep. Okay. Got a lot of flack for this one, Steve did. Um, great films, but a lot of critics are saying, like, oh, he's trying to go from sci-fi to serious. He's trying to, like, flip the script. Kind of like when a band goes... You know, they Yeah, got they their try genre, to do something different. Of course they're going to get shit on. It mm-hmm. happens to the best of mm-hmm. us. And it happened to Spielberg. I feel like that's a little different, though, a band versus a movie director. I mean, let's be honest. The uh, guy's getting older. He's it's getting a, a little metaphor. bit more mature. It's a metaphor. It's a metaphor for shit movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're trying to have a rational conversation. <laughs> um, so I'm ser- I'm serious, dude. I feel like this is a time in his life where he's getting older. He's realizing, you know, I can't be making sci-fi movies the rest of my fucking life. A hardcore band starts, gets a little older and realizes, oh, we don't have an audience anymore. Let's try a different genre. Let's just experiment a little bit. And then no one listens to it. Well, I'm just saying. That's what he's saying. So he's saying Spielberg Fuck, over man. here. Okay, but I'm saying Color Purple, Saving Private Ryan, Schindler's List. Those are all sick movies in their own right. Now, a lot of people say, though, they argue against them. Saying that what well, Spielberg does... <laughs> 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 they say what Spielberg does with these movies is he kind of infantilizes is that the word i don't think that's a real word um infantilizes the audience <laughs> what does that mean yeah, like is... he so he takes these movies color purple uh empire of the sun same private ryan schindler's list and he sprinkles them with like um like color purple he didn't show the like vagina mirror scene in the book or whatever because he was too timid um do you really want to see whoopi goldberg's vagina well just hear me out here all right (laughs) i'm I'm just i just gotta i mean no offense whoopi if you're listening they're just basically saying he was smart he was avoiding that me too movement they're saying that he uh paints them in in a lighter tone if you will not as serious as he could get with them not as dark as he could saving private ryan's pretty dark yeah, but then, <laughs> Steamboat Willie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But there are scenes in that movie that are simply in there um, for the sake of like making a cinematic scene, which I guess it's a movie, so maybe I'm, <laughs> I, it's bullshit for even saying that. But, uh, well, you I know. Mean, it can't just be guys taking grenades to the fucking gut. Like, uh, no, no. Like, one guy was saying, uh, one guy was ranting oh, about. Oh, gosh. Yeah, you're telling me about this guy. No, this is a different guy. Oh, okay. One guy was ranting about Schindler's <laughs> totally List. a different guy. Uh, some, like, uh, Jewish gentleman, survivor of the Holocaust, was ranting about Schindler's List, saying that, like, um, well, he has a right to ramble on about that kind of stuff. Yeah, thing. I mean, I forget what he was saying, so I'm not even going to get a great <laughs> argument there. <laughs> <laughs> you don't even remember what the guy fucking said. I mean, I just didn't understand it. I'm not a Holocaust survivor. It's no secret. And uh, <laughs> so, really? so, yeah, so I didn't understand his argument. Like, he was just saying that, like, uh, I don't know, like, the way that um, Spielberg portrayed it. Like, it was just... Um, Fuck, dude. I can't remember what he was saying. I'll have to pull up the article. Should I pull it up now? Might as well. Okay, so this guy was basically saying, like, what is uh, kitsch? Kitsch? Kitschy. One of my ex-girlfriends used to call me that, so it's probably not good. What does it actually mean, though? Like, bougie. Tacky. Okay, yeah. I hate you and you're tacky. (laughs) That's what he was saying. He was basically saying that the way Spielberg um, portrayed the Holocaust was like... uh, 
was like tacky and that he he argued that um any representation of the Holocaust that it is incapable of understanding or unwilling to understand the organic connection between our deformed mo- mode of life and the very possibility of the Holocaust. All I'm saying, and I, I now what's about he saying? That. Well, I don't know about that, but <laughs> <clears throat> when I, earlier when I said that I think everybody should have to go, we were talking about going to Auschwitz. Like I think everybody should have to go there to see, like, hey, like. This shit is real. Like, it fucking really happened. And it's it's mortifying. I remember we went into, like, one of the gas chains. Like, we actually went into one. Yeah. And you have to be, like, dead silent. And it's seriously one of the eeriest, like, most haunting things I've ever felt. Like, been around. Like, I just wanted to cry on the spot. Like, I think everybody, not necessarily into one of the gas chambers, but walk around the camp and then tell me that shit didn't happen. Like, going through, seeing all the shoes, seeing names on the list, like, seeing my family's name on the list, like... Dude, if that doesn't get to you... Oh, yeah. I mean, it's brutal, to say the least. And, um... All right, so we'll move on from his serious film... From the serious film rant. But, um... At the very least, see Saving Private Ryan if you haven't. Now, one thing I didn't know... uh, Did you know that he married Willie Scott from Temple of Doom? Uh, The blonde lady? Steamboat Willie? No. That's what her nickname in the book was. She actually is the one who got him back into his Jewish roots, which he had previously like ignored or tried to get away from. And that actually led him up to doing Schindler's List. A Did, woman, a little Yoko Ono right there. I guess. Um uh, more like a little Anne Frank. Now, did you know that oh, they I actually Did you know they actually like he wanted to shoot on location? And they shot, they shot as much on location as they could. In Poland? Yeah. That's, hey, don't blame him. It's a great country. Beautiful. But, I mean, that's extremely... Oh, I mean, imagine the sets he made with all the bodies stacked up going and recreating those yes. at the place where you just said it's you gnarly. have to be dead silent. That's very gnarly. Yeah. Um, but he said it was one of the toughest movies for him to do, like, emotionally. Oh, I bet. Oh, it's... And, you know, moving on from the serious rants, though, uh, then we get into what is known as, I guess, the digital era. So this starts with, like, Jurassic Park. Then you get movies like Minority Report, um, AI, uh, War of the Worlds. Now, Jurassic Park, one of the first movies to use um, CGI over animatronics. Also, one of the first movies to make me cry out of fear, unlike E.T. Now... A lot of people saying, again, Spielberg's to blame. This is the death of animatronics. And literally, there's quotes from uh, some of the... Because I think this film used a combination. Like, some of the scenes were animatronics, some were CGI. Mm. But when he actually saw the CGI, I mean, of course, back in 90, what, 6, 97? Something like that. This was huge. Yeah. And um, he said, like, this animatronics dude literally saw his job going away <laughs> he was just like great like uh he said, time to sneak into the studios and call <laughs> yeah, dibs, on, another dibs on a director spot <laughs> um so another thing i found uh around this same time i mean we're talking you know minority report ai war of the worlds we're talking around 2001 mm-hmm. um did you know spielberg himself had a uh stalker Ooh. now oh, oh no him? i did not no no that oh. was okay so I mean, this goes deep. I went down the rabbit hole. Steven Spielberg basically was being stalked by this online 
a person known as Curio or Surio Curio. And she was like a conspiracy theorist from uh, La Mesa, Great. Uh, from right out here in San Diego. She was actually caught at SDSU. And she would go and like post all this fucking crazy shit about these like high level people, about how they were uh, satanic uh, ritual abusers. And she says that Steven Spielberg had a cult that he led um, in his basement. Um, which was um, the Satanist headquarters and had installed a microchip known as Soul Catcher in her brain to monitor her thoughts and activities. And uh, after a few weeks of this, uh, Spielberg called his lawyers, um, took her to court, got a restraining order. Now, this lady was like obviously admitted to a psych ward, <laughs> but she did in fact also call out uh, Michael... Aquino um, as a satanic ritual loser who I this mean guy this guy looks... is like a pretty big scumbag and he is like definitely there's some high level shit going on Weird. with him this guy was a um, lieutenant colonel in the army uh, he was like an intel officer looks like he started and the insane clown posse man he was uh, high up in temple of the set which is like the satanic church that LeVay started and this guy was like a huge scumbag and you I mean you know he's like in in roots with the government uh, he's got his like Wikipedia page expunged uh, I mean you can't really find much stuff on the internet about this guy but uh, take it with a grain of salt this lady did call out this guy and Spielberg so maybe and Jennifer Love yeah maybe he is leading a satanic uh, cult in his basement and put a microchip in her head <laughs> I doubt that who knows um, and I mean that'll bring us uh, I think right up into this week's Breakdown Yeah <laughs> Okay, Ready Player One. Um, spoiler alert. You're unbelievable. Spoilers ahead, guys. From the man himself, Steven Spielberg. Sci-fi action adventure based on Ernest Cline's uh, novel, who also did the screenplay for Fanboys. Fun fact. Yeah. Now, Rob, you want to take us through then this one since this is your brainchild, this is your operation, this is your uh, forte. Yeah. It's actually Steven Spielberg's brainchild, but I'll take you through it. I think it's actually Ernest talking about Klein's. the podcast, and I'm gonna stop you right there, and we're gonna get into it. So you know, the film is set in 2045 with the world on the brink of chaos and collapse, but people have found their salvation in Oasis, which is an expansive virtual reality universe created by the brilliant and eccentric. James Halliday. When Halliday dies... Not he, to be confused with the picture for the Phillies. That's uh, Doc Holliday. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, let's go ahead and pour one out for the man because he did pass away the, earlier this year. Oh, man. Not to be confused. But they are not to be confused. But, you know, when he does die, he leaves an immense fortune to the first person to find a digital Easter egg, in fact, that he has hidden somewhere in the Oasis found only by obtaining three hidden keys which all require challenges sparking a contest that grips the entire world now thoughts initial thoughts on the film what are you guys thinking 
not quite solo level for me, but I actually like. I don't think I would have paid to see it in theaters, but I did enjoy paying the dollar seventy five from Redbox, and I liked the film. I enjoyed watching it at home. Okay, it was good. And if I'm being honest, the first time I saw a preview for it, I thought it was the guy from War Dogs. I didn't know that it was this other guy. <laughs> uh, yeah, I forget the gentleman's name, but uh, yeah, great actor nonetheless. Um, but this movie did not disappoint. No, yeah, I mean, you know, just like the book, this uh, this movie is basically just a giant tribute to uh, pop culture. A trip down nostalgia lane. Which, yeah. And if we think about it, boys, the podcast is just a tribute to pop culture. And a trip down nostalgia lane. And aliens. <laughs> now, uh, while this one does focus mainly on the 70s and 80s, you know, there's also references from the 90s, 2000s, uh, 2010s. Now, it's it's said that, I guess, um, film is out. It's no secret. Uh, you can rent it. And viewers have identified well over 130 references to films, television shows, music, toys, video games, anime, and comics within the film. There are a lot of lists out there, boys. Yeah. I couldn't even look at all of them. Now, Klein, uh, the guy who wrote the novel. So, first thing I'm thinking when I see this is a giant issue with, like, copyright. Oh, yeah. Uh, You know? Um, apparently he didn't have any issues with the book, but when it came time for the film adaptation, securing all these rights going to be a major issue. Now this was a little easier because as we all know, swinging Dick Spielberg's reputation is huge in the industry as we just had seen. Um, so him and his other producer, uh, they actually spent years locking down the rights uh, for the copyrighted elements to be used in the film long before the process of filming had even begun. You know, they knew going into this thing that, hey, if we don't have certain elements, then we don't have a film, basically. Um, and in the end, Spielberg says they managed to get about 80% of the copyrighted elements that they wanted. Hell, two out of three ain't bad. <laughs> I know. I mean, uh, they were able to s- secure rights for some, but not all of the characters. Um, now, in negotiating with Warner Brothers, they could not secure Close Encounters of the Third Kind from Columbia Pictures. Now, isn't that a bit fun? <laughs> it's his own movie. He can't yeah. get the rights. <laughs> One of his first movies, and he can't secure the rights to it. Are you fucking kidding me? They're like, yeah, actually, uh, go fuck yourself. I mean, I guess Columbia Pictures owns it. Um, Also, Blade Runner, Mm. apparently huge in the book, um, off, but it was off limits for the filming because Blade Runner twenty forty nine was in production at the same time. Um, You were telling me they could have given him a little bone there, though. Let him use a couple things from it. Well, I mean, you're the lawyer. How do rights work? I mean, can they basically can they have them? Like uh, on that movie, and then also lend them out to these guys. I don't know how it works. And we're honestly asking. Yeah, I mean, they probably wouldn't be able to get ones from the new movie, but I don't see why they couldn't have used aspects of the old movie. I mean, I get it. You don't want like that movie to drop, and then another like ode to Blade Runner drops right after it. But I mean, you could yeah, use like that, that's what Teabag was. Saying. I don't know, like how they use the we'll say how they used the Iron Giant. They could have used, like, one thing, like one of the cars from Blade Runner. Well, see, I don't know. I mean, it's no secret. I'm not a lawyer here, (laughs) but I don't know if you can, like, pick and choose when it comes to, like, rights. I think you either own all of it or you don't. If any of you are lawyers out there, 
That's not know. how this works. <laughs> but you were telling me, we were talking earlier, that they wanted to use Blade Runner instead of, spoiler alert, instead of The Shining? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's how it is in the movies, but they had to change it. So I think that it kind of worked out, though. I mean, obviously. Oh, it's great. Yeah. Obviously, you know, the movies and the books are never going to be the same. Yeah, yeah. They couldn't get Blade Runner. Had to use Shining. I think Shining's way better. That's cooler oh, for yeah, me. yeah. That was awesome. And it was like uh, Spielberg's way, I guess, to tribute his homie, Stanley Kubrick. Now... Now, why aren't you directing 2010? <laughs> <laughs> you know, one of the greatest directors of all time, although not quite as good as Michael Cortez, the director of The Seahawk. Now, uh... <laughs> The book also heavily used the character of Ultraman, but as the rights to Ultraman were under a legal dispute, I guess, they replaced it with the Iron Giant. Again, uh, better. Uh, Iron Giant, definitely way cooler. Although, I will say, when they used, when, um, what was his, his friend's name? H. H. When they, when she used him as a gun, I, I, I honestly got sad. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, come on. You can't do that. That's the whole point of the not movie. a weapon. Yeah. I know. It's like it's like a gun has a soul and he doesn't want to kill. Um he got he's got the den on his head and here they are using him as a weapon. Now they went on their whole rant about how this fucking asshole at IOI, is that what it's called? Yeah. IOI is going to ruin the Oasis. And they're ruining the Iron Giant. <laughs> <laughs> they're ruining the goddamn Iron Giant. That's um, a little bit less than the entire world. Well, uh, you know, who are they to judge is what I'm saying. <laughs> now, it's no secret that uh, Spielberg's past films played a significant part in the pop culture references in the book. Um, however, when, no he secret. when he signed on to direct, he wanted to avoid being accused of vanity. No humble brag in here. You probably think the song is about you. Out <laughs> <laughs> in a cloud in my coffee. Uh, he did. <laughs> he decided to remove. that at karaoke. Next he time? wanted to remove a good deal of references to his own work, uh, Spielberg. Um, but Klein actually had to convince him to include like some of the iconic elements, like the DeLorean. From Back to the Future, which Spielberg agreed to because he did not, he produced Back to the Future, did not direct it. Um, he also allowed, he kind of had to bargain and allowed um, the Tyrannosaurus Rex from Jurassic Park to be included. Now, here's my whole spiel. Okay. So, this movie is clearly set in a futuristic world, boys. Chaos and virtual reality ensue. And I feel like the genius integration of so much nostalgic imagery is really what makes this film work for me, at least in my personal opinion. Yeah, yeah. Um, now, what I've heard is that the movie is actually better than the book because of this. I mean, you have, like, the book, you're reading all these, uh, all these um, nostalgic elements in the movie, you're actually able to see them. Yeah, okay. So it's okay. a better... It's a better medium. Uh, film is a better medium for this type of story. I mean, this guy started out as, a, I guess, a screenwriter by trade, Klein. So, obviously, his work is going to translate better to the film. I mean, I feel like he wrote this book knowing that it would like become a movie. expecting yeah. it to become yeah. one. Okay. I can see that. And, you know, although 
Spielberg claims that he wanted to avoid self-references, which you just covered. Yeah, I mean, he didn't want this to be a greatest hits, but... Kind of turned out to be that way. (laughs) I mean, there's definitely more stuff than just Spielberg, but Spielberg, like we said, is such a big part of uh, the 20th century filmmaking that it kind of comes with the territory. Yeah, but I feel like that was what was kind of cool about it for me is because all of his works kind of highlight the different aspects of the movie so we got parzival aka wade driving the delorean in the race and then in the actual race itself he encounters the t-rex from jurassic park and as well as king kong which fun fact uh spielberg was actually asked to direct that in 76 but he turned it down to do some other stuff that he was working on uh, other hidden gems thrown in, you know. So people that were actually on his production team wanted to include stuff that was like an ode to him just to see if he would catch on to it. For example, a copy of Schindler's Ark is, can be found in Wade's apartment. They threw that in there last minute, kind of on one of his bookshelves when it's uh, panning around his apartment in one scene. Now that's the original title of the book, which was made into the film Schindler's List. Yes, sir, it is. I mean, that's a very deep reference. So, and uh, actually I found in my research that he didn't catch on to that until it was like post-production. He was like, you motherfuckers. Because <laughs> I mean, like, obviously a lot of people aren't going to pick up on that, but you yeah. know, all these nerds That's out there. That's what I'm saying. It's very quick. Uh, yeah. Then, you know, we got, I mean, and this is a very, I don't, I'm not trying to, I lost for words here, trying to, I guess we could say subjective thing, but the portals that they enter are supposed to be reminiscent of the twilight zone portal who are you pulling out words like subjective and integration where who is this guy where'd you find him yeah that might be a stretch i don't know if i really thought of that maybe i have to go back and watch but i mean didn't strike me as that right off the bat yeah i didn't think that either but you know this is just stretching it just to cover all the bases yes and then obviously you know um I think there's actually a couple references to gremlins in there. Yeah. So there's like some graffiti in the stacks, which is like the gremlin smiles. (laughs) And then there's also when uh, they open that box of like random stuff, there's like a little gremlin doll in it. I believe H is the one that does that. And then uh, they actually, when they go back in time, well not go back in time, but when they go to like those archives that are actually like the three-dimensional um, viewings of holidays memories pl- memories yeah they actually were able to put an indiana jones poster on young holiday's wall so like when he goes back and he's talking to him in that like little room he had as a kid there's actually an indiana jones poster on the wall so hmm. you know and then last but not least we'll say that the uh test that parzival faces at the end is reminiscent of the same test that indiana jones faces by the uh, fake grail and following his instincts to find the actual, you know, treasure at the end. Now, how how about this? Because uh, here's my whole thing. Okay. Now, let's hear it. that ending. So let's just kind of, uh, can we kind of explain that? Spoiler alert. Um, Halliday kind of says, you know, is he kind of a ghost in the machine? Like that's, he's transcended mm. into it? Like that's his brain? Is this wizard guy? That's what it seems like, yeah. Because he asked him if he's not really dead, and he said, like, no or something, right? Yeah. 
Now, well, do you he's think still he's still living through the, the oasis? So, do you think he's really dead? I mean, I feel like physically, yes, but he somehow. You think physically, yes. Now, we never see any actual funeral. No, we do not. Oh, this is true. So, could. Oh, he's Tupacing us. Could he be <laughs> Willy Wonkaing us? Willy Wonka has to find the kid, the, the ticket, you know, the whole spiel. <laughs> to take over his factory. Charlie. His factory. Now, probably this guy, um, Halliday, doing the same thing. Wow, he's Willy Wonka. I mean, they've got the second one in production, right? Spielberg. Or like he's writing it. Spielberg mm, did do uh, Roll Doll. <laughs> Shout out to his. Yeah. Well, okay, don't make that weird. I mean, he did BFG. It was by Roald Dahl. Maybe he's giving a shout out. Willy Wonka. Did Roald Bye. Dahl, um, Tupac people? Is Roald Dahl not really dead? Is Roald Dahl dead? <laughs> what? Just the way you asked that. Yeah, he's, he's oh, very yeah. dead. Long dead. Okay, so possibly Roald Dahl. We don't know. Now, third no, hardest I'm film. Is he giving is a shout real? out to his homie? Oh, yeah, definitely. What? third hardest film that he's ever had to make yeah he said so this film had a production budget of 175 million um so far it has has pulled in 582 million and spielberg did say it was the third hardest film he's ever made behind can we guess Mm. saving private ryan number two and the coup de gras jaws oh really yeah he says it was like because he actually shot it out on open water like everything to uh, that, that point be. was like uh, you know done in studios uh models that type of shit and he was like fuck it i'll just go shoot out in the ocean like not a sailor this guy <laughs> <laughs> and uh so he had to figure everything out as he went and um now, do we have any issues with the film? I need. I mean, I know we kind of just fanboyed out on the nostalgia factor, but uh, any any issues? Any surprising things? Well, here's a surprise. <laughs> this movie comes in number six uh, on the year, behind only. Can we guess? There's some names out there, boys. Number one movie of the year. Last Jedi. Oh, thank goodness! Come on, we did a review on it. Uh, uh, Infinity War. Yeah. Okay. Infinity War, Black Panther, Black Panther, Incredibles 2, and then boom, Jurassic fucking World. Really? That shit and then sucked. Deadpool 2, and then Ready Player One. All right, did you have any? So it's like, obviously, you know, he's still got it, guys. Does he I still mean, got it, or does everybody else suck? Jurassic World might as well be his, even though he didn't direct it. That was a piece of shit. <laughs> well, I didn't see it yet, so fuck you. And it, right, we're not what, denying the fact that he still got it. We're saying, did I'm you have any that, issues with the movie? With no, Ready Player One. But I'm just saying that's pretty crazy that movies like Infinity War and Deadpool are coming out, and that's the only thing that can top a Steven Spielberg movie. Can we speculate? The movie takes place in Columbus, right? I'm, yeah. I'm assuming Ohio. Probably, unfortunately, yeah. Not yeah. assuming it is. Okay, I just want to make sure Columbus, Ohio, arguably the worst state in the union, not called Michigan. Okay. Just saying. Hey, come on. Scummy people. We've got some listeners out there. Hey, well, great hey. people, man. Great states, I think. 
Fuck you, teabag. <laughs> I'm just saying I've had bad experiences, I, especially I, with come women on with from both spiel. of those. Well, I'm just saying if there's scumbag, like you talk about all these tweaker meth heads who that guy reminded me of in Ohio. Oh Not God. that I can't really talk. I live in apparently the meth capital of California, but yes, you do. Yes, but I'm just saying scumbags is aunt and uncle, Columbus, Ohio. So that your whole spiel right there was to malign the good people of Ohio. I've had terrible experiences. All right. Well, let's get off of that. Another thing. This <laughs> yeah, lady. guys, LeBron's in L.A. now, right? How about it's this? Fine. This uh, <laughs> That's even worse. <laughs> this chick that he meets, uh, when he says his real name, says he's in love with her, and she's like, yo, don't, like, I could be, I, I'm not who you think I am, and all this crazy shit to him. Well, that's just because she was self-conscious of her damn birthmark. Well, that's, okay. I have an issue with that. <laughs> uh, she's... <laughs> She's like, oh, I'm so fucking hideous. Like, you're not going to love me. Oh, she has a little tiny blemish on her eye, but she's still like a fucking oh, super hot chick. Tiny, she's so hot. Is but she hot? Yes or no? I'm not s- denying that. I'm just saying, man, that shit's uh, a lot of people that have that are self-conscious. Well, they shouldn't be. What about, beautiful. what about, and Rob, you've spent far more time online probably than Ryan and I combined. Have you ever told a girl that you loved her before meeting her? No. Chicago. She told me that she loved me before we met, but I mean, I'm in no position to talk. Well, yeah, I haven't told a girl that I love her, but and that wasn't online. I I don't know, man. That kind of weirds me out, man. How could do you well, really think you could get to know somebody well enough online? Like, I feel like I have to go out and meet somebody. Well, I feel okay, like so it's also different when you're. Sorry, I'm gonna cut you off. I'm not trying to be a dick, but I'm just saying if it if you're in a virtual reality setting and you're like interacting but, with that person but it could still be a 300 pounds. well yeah obviously but i mean i'm not gonna go tell some chick i love her when i'm just interacting with a role play thing like and that Amazon. but i mean i feel like it's a younger guy guy hasn't been around the block very much and he if at all yeah my my See, last so. spiel that's what i think they should have done is they should because they had that whole message in there Hey, I mean, this could have been a message to kids, you know, don't meet strangers off the internet. Don't get catfished. <laughs> but turns out, oh. Um, She's actually hot as fuck. Yeah, it turns and out, she does oh, love you. he was right all along. Everything God. works out. Yeah, Every stranger throw, you meet is going to be a Throw that out head. the window. Well, okay, uh, they, did, they did make the connection with H, though, being a chick. But again, not a That's main part of the story, doesn't. Yes, it, it was his best friend. Yeah, but, you know. That's it's it's just a little turned um, out to be a pansexual. It's just a little side sideshow, dude. That's fucked up. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Why don't they make that the whole point of the film? How about they make it that uh, she was some hideous 300 pound dude? They become bros, and then he falls in love with H, who he man. thinks is a, was a man. Then he questions his own sexuality. Oh god! And the oh. thing is, technically. <laughs> Technically, here um, we go. <laughs> you know well, why don't you go ahead and make that movie and you can premiere it right here? Perfect place for it. Okay, whatever. That that was my whole <laughs> thing. Um, let's get in. So, obviously, you know, Ready Boner One. Let me try to sum this up because obviously, Ready Player One is fake. No, but that's not a secret. <laughs> listen to this, guys. So, ever heard of this Eve Online? Sounds like a, not a no, not a porno site. Um, no, not a porno site, but it sounds like you're gonna go buy a dildo or something. No, like no, not, not, Adam not, and Eve. A, not Adam and Eve. That's right down the street. So from your Eve house. Online, 
basically real life Ready Player One shit. I got started looking at this absolutely insane. Uh, have Do to you give have a, an account? No. Have to give a shout out Not to. Not yet. Have to never will. Have to <laughs> give a shout out to uh, Tiny Tim, uh, one of my coworkers, for telling me to cover this. Um, Huge nerd. Huge nerd, yeah. <laughs> uh, sat right by me. Huge video game nerd. So he turns me on to this. I start doing research. Um, also, to caveat this, one, I have never played the game. Um, <laughs> Throwing that out there. Yeah. Two, most of the research comes from EVE Online forums and Kotaku, which is, I understand, is like Kodaku, Kotaku. I understand is basically the buzzfeed of like the gaming world. So... Take this whole thing with a grain of salt, and I've tried to condense it because uh, this game has a dense history, uh, and it basically is as deep as, like, Game of Thrones type shit. <laughs> so, brief overview. Found in 2003, this is a massive multiplayer online role-playing game uh, set in space, contains thousands of star systems, and you basically get a spaceship, and you can, like, mine asteroids, trade... Uh, have warfare, create alliances, etc. So essentially the game is run by economic competition. Uh, and you have these like alliances, uh, wars, political schemes, and people take this shit way too seriously. The currency in this game is known as Plex, which I guess buys like subscription time and can be traded for in-game currency. And... These people like use Plex as a ballpark and estimate the real life currency uh, valued one of the fleet ready Titans, uh, one of the most powerful ships in the game at 7,600 US dollars. Jesus Christ. The game developer actually hired a, a real life economist from a university to oversee Eve's in-game economy. Uh, now, few notable battles so these guy uh there's one called bloodbath of br5rb this was 21 hours long invo involved over 7548 player characters and is possibly one of the largest player versus player battles in history at the time which was 2014 the in-game cost uh of losses totaled over uh, 11 trillion in ISK, which is interstellar credit. I guess that's in-game currency. Real world. Obviously. Real that's world. not a real world currency. Real world value of that credit that was lost uh, was 330,000 US dollars. So you're talking about like credit being lost like people when they died like in ready player one yeah just yeah lose exactly wow. yeah lost their ships like which we saw that one was 7k um dark horse comics has actually like published uh graphic novels based on some of the like battles in this game <laughs> this one guy apparently was going to publish a whole book on the game's history uh i mean now here's where it gets real crazy you think that's crazy check this out uh real life tactics a few more of the bizarre stories I heard. Uh, one alliance, Band of Brothers, allegedly cut power lines of an opponent. Like, in real life, they cut their power lines at their house during a campaign uh, so that their ship was destroyed. <laughs> Jesus Christ. People will actually build alliances for months, um, some even lasting years, just to act as moles, and then they betray that alliance. 
others just downright scam people or persuade them into like doing some type of shit, like dissolving their clan for their own personal gain. There are some sick, sick people. Yeah, in there's the world. this guy, Sean Smith. He was apparently like one of the huge players of the game. His his name was Vile Rat. That sounds like a fake name. Yeah, it was. Sean Smith. Oh, no, that was his real name. You looked this guy up. Uh, he's from right here in San Diego. Another San Diego reference. Something's going yeah, on here. Something in the water. Um, but this guy was one of the more active people doing this. Uh, he formed a diplomatic group within the game, within like his clan, where people were actually elected to office, acted to like persuade and dissolve certain groups. Uh, and actually, pour one out, this guy was uh, killed in the Benghazi attack in 2012. Wow, thanks a lot, Hillary Clinton. As he worked for a U.S. diplomat. Uh, Support went out for that guy. But people have gone as far as hacking others to... Like, this one guy hacked uh, this other... Like, the game's infrastructure, essentially, to expose a developer of the game who also played the game, who was giving his team... Like blueprints and maps to have an advantage. <laughs> oh, so if this actually turned into real life, you realize how fucked this whole thing would be. It already is. It's, That's what I'm really saying. This is real. On, like people do this. They spend like eight. Like people do this as like full time jobs. Essentially. No, but I was saying like in the future, if that became like the reality where everything is on a VR. So, so like if we were living ready yeah, player one. We would just be yeah. so fucked. Well, we're headed that way, apparently. Dude, I'm telling you, when World of Warcraft first came out, Haas got an account and that guy would literally like Yeah, I didn't see him for like two months. Yeah. He would go to school, come home and just play that game. That's it. Like go to school, play the game. That was it, man. And I was like, Good lord, dude. He's living off like Mountain Dews and like Doritos. Dude. But like people, yeah, people like do this professionally they make money they level up characters and then sell them to people for thousands of dollars like that's crazy I've heard man. about that now check this out the coup de gras uh the one of the funniest things i saw also take with a grain of salt don't know if it's true there was apparently some like super socially awkward guy probably most of the people <laughs> in the game i'd assume uh but this guy acted as a logistician uh, essentially like a logistics guy for his alliance and he suddenly, like, one day just turned on them because apparently the alliance they were going up against sent would send hookers over to his place, <laughs> like, on them. Some and Rick Patino shit. <laughs> they had the agreement that, like, there would be more... They would just keep sending hookers as long as he just helped them out. So, I mean, basically, Ready Player One shit is already uh, coming to fruition, <laughs> um, as we see with this, you know? Crazy for that one. Like, I don't want to look into it, see what all the hype is about. We're, we're not going to see it. We, we had enough problems already. We gambling troubles. Well, my we don't need this. Work, so it doesn't, <laughs> That's a good thing. Doesn't doesn't matter. And Macs aren't really necessarily set up for gaming. That's um, true. That's now, what think. <laughs> let's get back to Spielberg to round this thing out. Um, so we were saying earlier, best the argument can be made. Uh, would you say he's the best known director in the world? Mm, that's tough. I mean, who's bigger than him? What about George? He's definitely oh. more wealthy. George Boy Toy Lucas. <laughs> what about that Japanese guy? Japanese guy. I mean, he does all the anime ones like Miyamoto. Is that his name? You know oh, Miyamoto. No, you're talking about... Um, does like howls and... But I mean, yeah, like honestly, like I would say Spielberg. Miyazaki. 
That's yeah, yeah. 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 What about uh, Akira, Scorsese, boys? Uh, again, more artsy. I think you know, like I, I guarantee you could go up to some people and be like, "Do you know who Martin Scorsese is?" And they'd be like, "No." But if you said, "Do you know who Steven Spielberg is?" Oh yeah, yeah. Now I did see one guy was like comparing. So let me just throw this out there. Saw this on Instagram. Guy was comparing Steven Spielberg to Christopher Nolan, saying, "Who's a better director?" This guy thinks Christopher Nolan has never done a bad film, whereas Spielberg has done plenty of bad film. But I think you know, just as overall like influence, um, Spielberg is is far reaching. Yeah, Nolan came way after, right? Well, yeah, I know that's what this guy is saying. Just in the sense of directing. No, this is talking about <laughs> Bat, Dark Knight. And yeah, Dark Inception. Knight, Inception, Dunkirk, all those. Well, I did not see Dunkirk. I should. But essentially, like, uh, my whole thing was definitely Spielberg just because of his impact. I mean, what the guy was able to do, uh, inventing the blockbuster. Uh, now, yeah, you can't argue, like, the death of, of artsy sort of cinema, eh, like these pompous assholes. I'm but, all right with that. Yeah, I mean, the studio was always in it for the money. <laughs> That's not Spielberg's fault for <laughs> making a good movie that people like. Coming up with the formula. Well, there's always going to be dickheads out there. Exactly. But... If There's you, dickheads in the studio. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> if you Google most famous director in the world, the top three are as follows. Steven Spielberg, Martin Scorsese, Quentin Tarantino. So there you have it. Yeah. Uh, now, Lucas would you say that? Lucas isn't even in the top three. And also, He's not even in the top six. Yeah, because I think... Um, James Cameron, Alfred Hitchcock. Ooh, I mean, Hitchcock. James Cameron, Nolan. Uh, James Cameron, two Avatar. of the highest grossing films, and Titanic. Avatar, though. <laughs> Never seen it. That's like number two in the world ever. That's number one in the world ever. Is it? Yeah. Spielberg, greatest director ever of all time? You're saying yes? I don't know, man. It's tough because, you know, George Lucas with the Star Wars. <laughs> I think Spielberg is one of those guys where, like you said, you can say Spielberg and you, you automatically Anyone's associate... Gonna, yeah. But, but you, also, those are the types of movies he does. They appeal to mass audiences because that's what he knew. Right, right. But if you say Scorsese, people are going to be like, oh, I've heard the name. But maybe once you start dropping films, they'd be like, oh, yeah, I know yeah. that guy. But Spielberg, you can just be like, yo, Spielberg. And they're like, yeah, Spielberg. I mean, I would, in my opinion, I say that obviously Steven Spielberg is the most widely known. Known, yeah. But in most my, successful, yes. In my opinion, I would rather watch a Scorsese or a Tarantino movie. Yeah, I think I just um, like his movies the way he does. They do stuff better. Yeah, I mean, not any Tarantino movie. I do like Tarantino. I'm taking Scorsese if this I have to is go to this top a tasty three. burger. Yeah, I mean, yeah, one of my favorites of all time. But I mean, nonetheless, Spielberg hugely influential. I mean, you wouldn't have Tarantino arguably if it wasn't for mm -hmm, Spielberg. True. I mean. Uh, guys like Tarantino, Nolan, um, who else? David Fincher. Like all those guys cite uh, Spielberg as huge influence. Uh, Duffer Brothers, Stranger Things. Yep, I yeah. mean, this guy influenced the new generation for sure. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And so, I mean, there you have it. Net worth as of 2018, folks, 3.5 billion. Mm, I thought it was 3.8. Steven Spielberg for president. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> Spielberg Tarantino. So, I mean, we're out on this one, guys. Um, uh, as far as anything from me, um, see you guys next week. Um, stay tuned for some uh, cool 
stuff coming your way. We got some great episodes in the queue for you guys. Um, some fan requests coming your way. Um, stay safe out there, everybody. And as always, holler at us on the email, podcastfromouterspace at gmail.com. Any questions, concerns, compliments, maybe? Uh, maybe you want to slide in those DMs, see what's going on with us. Uh, you know, all three of us kind of operate it simultaneously. So if you ever want to, you know, get some stickers, just say what's up, whatever you guys feel like. That is, once again, Instagram, Podcast from Outer Space. And I think that's it for me, boys. So long, and thanks for all the fish. Pull out my black car. That's my little nigga. Make a movie with your bitch, Steven Spill, nigga. Smoking on quiche, cold, give me chills, nigga. What's your real name? And not your stripper name. I make it rain on you, like a window pane. Dance and make her dance. Don't you make her come? Hit it from the side like a motherfucking bass drum. Two hoes on one fucking pole. Two hoes on my fucking pole. I don't tip.